Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, "What the f- are you talking about you insane hollywood ass so to recap we're cutting the price of mint unlimited from 30 dollars a month to just 15 dollars a month give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch 45 dollars up front for three months plus taxes and fees promote for new customers for limited time unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows full terms at mintmobile.com want to win the league but I want to win it better. You can understand that, can't you? Yes. Good luck. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. <laughs> second captain, first captain, whatever. I think you know a goal is pretty amazing when you have watched it 10 or 15 times in a row and still can't quite decide which little bit of it is your favourite bit. Owen and Murphy here with today's Irish Times Second Captain's Football Podcast. Hello there, Owen. Okay. And what, what the bloody hell are you talking about now? I should mention Ken is on holidays this week. I speak, of course, Murphy, Mesut Ozil's late winner for Arsenal ah. against the Ludogrets on Tuesday night. So I've watched this quite a lot. I'm watching it as we speak. Hope you don't mind me double jobbing here. No, no, it's fine. I'm doing it as well. So, you know, he takes this little first touch. That's fine. Nothing major about that. The lifting of the ball over the goalkeeper is a nice, nice little boost Mm -hmm. to this goal. The keeper, if you think about it, (laughs) is outside his box. Can't handle it anyway. Well, well, yeah, exactly. But he sticks his hand up. So he's literally accepting a red card. He's thinking in his head, okay, I'll I'll take the red. Yeah. I'll just, I'll just haul this guy down, grab the ball out of the air, deliver. It doesn't matter. I've got to stop a late winner going in here. Still can't do it. Mm. Also, still manages to lift it over him with just the right amount of weight that he could immediately take it down. So I think that's a front runner for best bit mm. of goal. Takes a nice touch inside the first defender, but it's his dummy shot that is in pole position for me, Murph. Yeah. Co- you see him cocking the leg back there as if to shoot. Yeah. Tempts that first defender into jumping through the air towards the goal. <laughs> the, yeah, yeah. The second buffoon. I see it. Comes backtrack. This the second backtracking defender slides, you know, five to ten yards in the wrong direction, allowing Ozil to walk the ball just past the penalty spot. At this stage, all he's to do is tap it in, takes another touch for no particular reason, and then knocks it home. Yeah, it's a pretty sweet goal, and you know, it's a winner as well. You know, it's not a it's not a piss take fifth goal in a five nil win. Yeah, well, where do you stand on that? Because this is something that is that always comes up when amazing goals are scored. I remember the only argument against Zlatan's ridiculous bicycle kick against England all those years mm. ago the only argument about you know against the idea that it's one of the greatest goals ever which I still maintain it is was that it was a friendly wasn't it yeah it was a friendly game it could have even been a third goal and a big win and it wasn't a great night for England but it was 4-3 oh sorry that was it yeah, yeah sorry yeah. so actually okay in the context yeah. of the game it was a, a big goal but it wasn't a big game it was a competitive game yeah. as such you think that is important well I think it it um it adds a little bit of uh you know, a little bit of varnish to the whole thing. I think, it, you know, uh, broadly speaking, a good goal is a good goal. You know, same time, Carlos Alberto, you know, world that's a World Cup final he did that inch, but it was the fourth goal in a 4-1 win. So, I mean, there's two ways of looking at it, really, isn't there, you know? Mm. I mean, he showed up that day to play in a World Cup final, and he scored one of the greatest goals of all time. So, you'd have to say... I don't think... I think, right, 
and there's actually a lot, a lot of debate around that Carlos Alberto goal when the mm. poor man passed away recently and some people were expressing the view what was so great about that goal anyway a lot, it was a lot of people well, just walking around just all the brilliant football followed by the brilliant finish well, yeah although I do think I mean Italy were out in their feet you, you, you know, it, it wasn't exactly. This is the argument. So I, I, I don't necessarily buy into it, but I think the idea is like Brazil were walking around for part of, for parts of that build up, and Italy still had no energy to muster. But this that also ties in with the idea that it was a, the fourth goal of a four one win. You know, it's mm. not, but it's still the fourth goal of a four one win in a World, World Cup, Cup final. final. Yeah. So I'm sticking with poor, poor old the late yeah. Carlos yeah. Alberto. I, I still maintain that's a great one. I just think all these goals are great, Murph. I'm, just a yeah, no, I'm fan I'm, of fan of brilliant goals. I, I, yeah, I wouldn't be one to start naysaying a brilliant goal. Mm. You know, like immediately look for the reason why it's not the greatest goal ever scored. I'd say, well, I don't think I don't have a definitive answer for the greatest goal ever scored, but I do know a good goal when I see it. And Mesut Ozil's is, good goal. is yeah, one of the more beautiful goals I've seen in the last year or two. Yeah, there was no, there was it was just all finesse, which was lovely. Andrew Mangan of Ars Blog will be in studio to dissect that goal further. Dion Fanning is going to be dropping into us to give us the lowdown on the growing feud between Martin O'Neill and Ronald Koeman, the Everton manager. This is, I don't know how this one's going to end. Mm. Possibly in a UFC octagon. Who knows? Mm. Per, perhaps uh, a sliding scale of uh, press conference barbs, the high point of which has already passed us. <laughs> <laughs> that could be more likely, yeah. We'll also ask if Dundalk's Daryl Horgan can make the final cut in O'Neill's squad for Austria. Obviously, he's in there. Uh, he's one of two Dundalk players in there in the extended squad. We'll see what Dion thinks about the chances of getting any further than that. But first, play that bed on. So Sam Cook, as you can see, like me, he's awful pretty. <laughs> and we are here now working on a record called The Gang's All Here. And uh, uh, Sam and I, we expect to have this out in another week or so. Would you like to give us uh, a preview of this disc? We, we'll do a lot better if we had the music here with us. Right, we're going to do it. We'll, we'll try now. Hey, hey, the gang's all here. Join in the fun. <laughs> hey, hey, the gang's all here. We're going to swing as one. Is Memphis with me? Yeah! Is Louisville with me? Yeah! Is Houston with me? Yeah! Am I the greatest? Yeah! Hey, hey, thanks all If you happen to bump into Murph here around town today, the reason that he's sweating so profusely and struggling for breath is that he has helped to carry a few boxes of books <laughs> up. Not one, but two flights of stairs today. The second Captain Sports Annual Volume 2 is in stock. I've got some sitting in front of me right here. That means for those of you who pre-ordered, which is quite a lot of you, thank you very much for doing that and also for your patience, we will start sending these bad boys out ASAP. And for the rest of you, we'll just get on secondcaptains.com immediately and order... That's actually a little too bossy, isn't it? Get on secondcaptains.com whenever suits and order a book. <laughs> Not immediately. Nice Nobody wants to be told to do something immediately. Yeah, nice change of tone there. Yeah. Free shipping to Ireland, the UK, I hear you say, Murph. Uh, That's yes, correct. Say correct. Yep. correct great, great rights for shipping elsewhere worldwide. Uh, oh, big damn, okay, big yeah. damn. And uh, presumably there'll be loads of batches of books. Like when these ones set out, there'll be an opportunity to buy plenty more. That's just how it works on, take your time. I'm afraid. No? Just no, this one batch. This is it. So is that when be- they're gone, they're gone. <laughs> 
as a terrible radio ad would suggest. Is that because years. you just can't handle any more physical labour? <laughs> one one day a year, on. Uh, I've signed up for one day's physical labour a year, and uh, I've already done it. Dion Fanning of Sports Show has landed into us. Dion, how are things? Hi guys, how are you? Uh, good. You look energised. I know you enjoy a good managerial <laughs> spat slash war of words. Well, well, ted of ted. Well, we were last, yesterday we were discussing it. Discussing it with someone at, at Abbottstown. It's like, does this now qualify? As, is this a war of words? Oh yeah! Is oh, yeah. it you know? Is has he uh, launched? Uh, like has he launched an astonishing attack? <laughs> was it a, a verbal tirade? It was, I think it was a, a verbal tirade. Although I think was, all three of those boxes, yeah, were yeah, and everything, and, and you know Ronald Koeman to come. Like so, uh, yeah. but I think O'Neill. Um, O'Neill, he was, he was quite relaxed yesterday by his standards, but he did, it was something when he was asked about it initially. He it was something he kind of wanted to get off his chest, and. Uh, I think it's one of those things he had said it before, and he, you know this idea that I will never, never play a player who was who who wasn't fit. I've never done that in my career. I never would, um, and this seems to have uh, rankled with him. But um, like I don't know, I like it's James McCarthy who's in a kind of tricky position now. Um, if he comes, like if he, you know, Neil was sort of suggesting he's not wouldn't be fit to play this weekend. But if if the game was this weekend, but then he, you know, he he may come over and. If he's asked again, are you fit? Like, what, 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 what kind of position does that put him in? Uh, yeah. And that's the that's the tricky thing in this situation. And it's not going to it's not going to be resolved, uh, you know, uh, serenely. No, I don't think so. Just to go back to what Kuman said, I mean, it's been kind of going back and forth a little bit. But uh, he had, he had in advance of the Moldova and Georgia games, he had kind of warned O'Neill through the media maybe to go easy on McCarthy. So after those games, he says they asked him if he was ready to play as in the Irish management team, asked McCarthy if he's ready to play. It's very difficult for a player to say no because he is in Ireland. I like to have a lot of international players. It's a good experience for every player, but sometimes you'd like to have a little bit more understanding for a player who's been out injured for five to six weeks. Playing him for 45 minutes, 60 minutes, but not but not 95 minutes after five to six weeks out. Uh, oh, sorry, yeah, so you should play him for 45 minutes, maybe 60 minutes. But the fact that he played 95 minutes and then the second time for 80 minutes, you are killing the player, which is fairly emotive language. Well, it's funny how things seem to have, have flipped here. What was the thing Roy Keane, kind of one of the many things Roy Keane held up as, as kind of all that's wrong with the, the modern game? Scans. Mm. Players going for scans. You know, scanning this, scanning that, when they should just be men, just bandage themselves up, walk out and, and play no matter what. Now, this is, seems to be an instance where the player is cleared to play medically. Scans are fine. He's declared himself fit. Match day minus match, two. Match day minus two. two. I'm, I'm, go, I'm good to go. Yeah. Uh, and and the club now wants uh, want some you know a, a different uh, you know a bit of nuance to it. And it's kind of interesting looking into this. You know when when Everton and Ireland had problems before with with Keane when Keane went out, gave out about Everton. Martin has made this point that you know scans now there's no subjective opinion anymore. It's it's black and white. You have a scan. It's either clear or not. So presumably on that basis. James McCarthy was fit to play. Now, they're different injuries. You talk to people at Everton and say, yeah, they're different injuries, but at the same time, a player is fatigued. He plays, you know, uh, all but nine minutes of two qualifiers. It was a, it was a groin injury was the first injury, yeah. and what he has now is a hamstring. hamstring. Yeah, but they, um, but they are different injuries. He did say he was, he, was re- he was ready to play. As O'Neill pointed out, Seamus Coleman played in similar situation, and actually it benefited him because he got some game time. Uh, 
So it's one of these things. I think, again, it just comes down to this this problem, this powerlessness that clubs feel when players go away from from uh, from them and they come back and they then and the frustration and that managers at international level feel equally that they don't have much say in it the rest of the time. Yeah, and it is kind of odd that it's James McCarthy at the centre of this as well. Because, I mean, basically what James McCarthy, McCarthy is being accused of is loving his country too much, <laughs> which is not something that maybe we would have suspected uh, a number of years ago when people were questioning his commitment to Ireland in the first place. Well, yeah, that, well, that's it. There's Again, that's another... Uh, uh, way that this story has flipped, and McCarthy, you know, so determined to play for his country that he uh, he kind of you know didn't listen to any concerns coming from from Everton. Anything the, the medical team there might have been saying. Um, now I don't know what. Presumably, in in the run up to into those games, the medical teams are are in touch with each other. O'Neill did suggest that one of the things that the Irish medical team were pretty disappointed with Cooman's comments because. Uh, they, he clearly had been briefed by their physiotherapist. And uh, as far as I understand, the medical team at Everton, despite a change management, the medical team at Everton is more or less the same now as it was. Right, OK, so we've got previous with those guys yeah. then. Well, yeah, but th- those guys don't... Like, that is a strange thing because medical teams tend to, you know, it tends to be... They, they all tend to get along quite well. Sure, there tends yeah, to be yeah. kind of good relationships at that level because it, it's necessary. So an international team physio or doctor will talk to the club doctor, find out what's going on. And they'll and they'll work it out. So it is it is kind of unusual, even though this is a very familiar story of kind of club versus country. That is kind of unusual that medical teams are, uh, like for O'Neill to be saying that you know that his medical team were disappointed because clearly Cumin had been briefed by the physios. But that does seem to be you know going back to Keane's comments about how you know whenever whenever a player leaves Everton, they get the impression that uh, they're kind of you know they're they're very they're barely able to walk, and then he sees Seamus Coleman and James McCarthy. Walking through the hotel door, and he kind of you know says, "Praise the Lord, it's a miracle." So, uh, so like that seems to have been the kind of the uh, the feeling about how Everton deal with their with injured players. Yet at the same time, McCarthy travelled and played. Although these days the clubs don't have as much influence over stopping a player travelling. Uh, so there is there like there is that problem. But um, I don't know. It is going to be a tricky one for McCarthy because he's got to. Uh, you know, he probably won't play play this weekend, and then you know the international break is there, and what what he does then will be looked upon sceptically by one side or the other, depending on what he does. I suppose we should all be patriotic about this and come down firmly in O'Neill's side, but I gotta say, I don't think Cumin, from his point of view, is being totally unreasonable here. Like it's getting to a point now that if McCarthy plays again for Ireland, having missed out another big lump of football for Everton, he'll have. He'll be turning into a sort of full-time international footballer and would have played more for his country than he has for his club this season, who are the guys who pay him a shed load of money. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't want to be you know, overly patriotic, but I think at the same time, players pick up injuries. That, that's part of... There is a recovery time. There is a recovery time. They pick up injuries. Maybe... Uh, who knows what would have happened if he'd been playing for Everton? Maybe he would have picked up injury as well. The, I think the problem comes, the, the clubs feel, it's almost a psychological thing, they feel they've lost control when a player goes away and comes back and then they say he's overloaded. Now, I think where O'Neill, O'Neill made such a big deal uh, of the fact that McCarthy trained the day 
Cumin was coming out saying that he'd been they'd overloaded the him. The day Cumin was bleeding on, bleeding on, yeah, yeah, yeah. The very day he was bleeding on, and he, and then later on when he was talking again about it, he he did actually uh, when it was put to him that this was extraordinary language. His voice was kind of rising, and he was kind of and he trained and he trained like he really. This seemed to be like he. This was the kind of. Uh, is he'd kind of blown the case wide open at this point. I think, <laughs> you know, I've got him here. Now, I don't think that's that big a deal that he came back and trained. So uh, from that point of view, I can see I can see Cumin's Cumin's point. But I, I do think that there's, it's it's easy when it happens. And it's easy when a player gets injured on international duty to say this is the fault of, of, of the international setup rather than uh, if it happens when... Um, you know, a player is playing for a club, they may accept it more readily. Although these days you see with various various clubs, you see Pep Guardiola with the medical staff, you know, there is a lot of questions asked when players get injured too. So maybe maybe this is just, you know, par, par for the course there as well. You seem to be on the O'Neill side here, Murph. Well, Joe, just to the to the question that you the, yeah. that, or that, that you and Dion were talking about there, the, the fact of the matter is it is unfortunate that he will have played more times for his country than his club if you're an Everton supporter. But at the same time, if you get injured and you have a five-week recovery time and the end of that five weeks happens to be the start of the next international break, through no fault of your own, through no fault of Everton and through no fault of Ireland, uh, your injury is recovered. You're fit to play on the Thursday that Ireland play Austria. So why would Everton have first dibs on playing a fully fit player again just because of, of, you know... correctness here you know manners well I'm, I, I don't like I don't see that if he's fit to play on Thursday because his injury has cleared up after a five-week recovery period then that is unfortunately Everton's tough luck yeah if he's fit to play one game that's fair enough if that was just it but he the issue surrounds the previous games the fact that he was injured for quite a bit of the season came back and you can say he's fit to play that's fine right but if you have say there was no such there was no uh, demarcation between club and international F- a footballer's career was just one team yeah. and he was out for six or seven or eight weeks whatever it was for that team and was then declared fit to play do you really think that team would play him for 95 minutes and then another 80 minutes if a couple of days later they probably wouldn't you know so that's Ronald, they, they would probably rest yeah. him for they might even bring him on as a sub in the first game or they might take him off early in another game I wouldn't say they play him for almost the entirety of both games so well, that's where I'm coming from where, where Koeman feels that that's where Ireland made a misstep. Yeah, and I think that that's the central argument of inter- of club football against international football, that Martin O'Neill has a job to do for Ireland, and he felt that he wouldn't be doing his job correctly if he rested James McCarthy for the benefit of Everton in the second of those two qualifiers. So he was within his rights to do what he had to do. Koeman is, you know, maybe he's within his rights to 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 talk about it, but, I mean, that's all he, that's all he can do. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think he has... Any any greater hold on James McCarthy than what he's trying to exert in the media by saying please don't play him too 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 often, uh, you know this is stuff that you can pretty easily easily ignore if you're Martin O'Neill. I think you can you though? Do you not have to compromise? Is that not part of it? I totally take Mer's point that it, O'Neill has done nothing wrong. As you know, I'm not having a go at, at him, but you do. There is this knife edge you have to walk with these club managers. And if you piss too many of them off, or even just one of them who have a couple of your players, it can be problematic. Well, yeah, except that it's it you know especially for a manager like O'Neill who sees his entire purpose as an international manager as any kind of manager is just to win the next match, especially and qualifiers. Like these weren't friendlies. If it was a friendly, then I think all the the, the right would be with with Koeman on this situ- in this situation. But it wasn't, and Ireland were struggling in Moldova. Uh, you know, they were, it wasn't as if they were three 0 up at half time. 
and he could say, right, take him off. So he thinks I just have to win football matches or I'm going to lose my job. Like that's like it's kind of as, as straightforward as that in, in Martin O'Neill's world. Um, so as he said in another context yesterday, he said, I'm not running a kindergarten. Like it's about uh, getting players on the pitch who are going to play. And then, you know, O'Neill being a certain type of manager thinks, well, you know, you get out, you play. If you, you know, if you've got injuries, I'm, you, you deal with it and we, and we just get on to the next thing. But right now I need you to play. And uh, even though he's never, you know, as he as he made clear, he'd never played a player who wasn't who wasn't mm. who hadn't declared themselves fit. Um, so I think while you do have to negotiate these things a little bit, like that doesn't really come into it at that point uh, in a qualifying game. Um, if it was a friendly, it would be different, and he could say, right, Kuman, if, if you played eighty-one minutes in a friendly a couple of days after playing ninety in another game, you could say, right, this is crazy. But I think from that point of view, you, there's not much you can do. Shane Long is out. Dundalk's Daryl Horgan and Andy Boyle are in the extended squad, the provisional squad. Dion, what, what did he have much to say about them yesterday? Did he did, was? and uh, you know, it was everybody was kind of you know, there's a kind of a general sense of 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 delight at, at Dundalk player, you know, the, the two of them being in the squad, and you know, Dundalk have, have captured the public's imagination. And I think everyone felt that this, you know, this is kind of a reward for that. Um, O'Neill. You know how how much further they get down the road in the squad uh, when like the, the they, when they leave for Vienna a couple of days before the match, I'd be I'd be surprised if if they were part of it. Um, you know, again that was in the context of Dundalk was when O'Neill said, uh, "I'm not running, I'm not running a kindergarten." Mm-hmm. Uh, I think what he meant was it's not his job to kind of see you know to kind of sc- to nurse players up to the standard of international football. Um, now, I I think Daryl Horgan should be in the squad. Like I think it's uh, when it's pared down, you think yeah, it's a worthy yeah. place. Yeah, I think I think there's a, there's a problem with the view of international football when it's first of all it's seen it, it's something entirely different to Premier League football uh, and you know Championship to a degree. And I don't think you need to see a player playing at that level to say that they'd be equipped for for international football, which is a slower game. Horgan has, has skills and his ability to do things on a pitch that Ireland kind of need. And I think, uh, you, you know, how many times we play, when you play, even when you see Georgia playing against Ireland and, and Georgia have more of the ball and more, Georgia have more, seem to have more skillful players. And I think that emphasis needs to change a little bit. So I don't think, I don't think, I think he should be in the squad. I don't think he will be. Although I tend to think with O'Neill at this stage, he's so into short-termism and, you know, he's going to be Ireland manager for probably, you know, at least nearly five years by the time he leaves. Uh, it would be good to see a kind of, some kind of uh, sort of overarching plan. There's a little bit of that happening with this squad, I think, but more of an overarching plan to kind of, right, let's get players developed, let's bring players through, let's see what let's see what's out there. Well, in fairness, we do seem to have bought into the Dundalk thing. You know, there was footage, I can't remember after which famous victory. They've had so many of them this season of him in the dressing in the dressing room afterwards having a bit of football banter you might call it with the Dundalk players who seem pretty impressed by him and he you know so he's he has attended games and he seems to be engaged by it now he's picked these guys in the squad so you know he's doing more than his um, predecessor ever did I guess for yeah he is but I think you you'd be like it would be nuts if he it would be in it would be completely nuts if he wasn't the bar is not set particularly yeah high yeah yeah like when, when you look man, at his predecessor yeah, there is no league as, as, you know, league of Ireland <laughs> he's fans. acknowledged the existence of the league of Ireland <laughs> yeah. so he's done more than his predecessor yeah. so i i think um 
I think I think, and also, and because Dundalk have been so successful, uh, it would be crazy, and you know, it would be crazy to to be ignoring a player like Horgan, especially. So I think, uh, uh, I think it's, um, it, you know, I, I I think his 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 appreciation of it is is well is sincere, but I think I do think they're worth taking a risk on because I don't know, you know, you see a lot of the same old names in the Ireland squad, the same players are going to be there, and I think somebody like that would. I think would, would I think I think could cope quite well there, and I don't think I think the level they're playing at having this experience of European football, especially, I think the League of Ireland clearly is is at a, is at a lower level. But having the experience of European football, having done well in European football, I think there's enough to say that international football isn't that big a leap from that. Yeah, maybe going well tonight against Zenit away from home would push the cause further there a little bit because they're a proper quality team. I was reading Emmett's piece this morning. It's pretty cold over there. Uh, even colder than expected, apparently. The trip took five hours longer than it was supposed to take. There was some problem with the plane. Uh, and yet Stephen Kenny's optimism remains totally undimmed. He seems to have this... Well, I suppose what it doesn't always bounce off managers. Sometimes they look like the weight of the world is on their shoulders. He seems to have the, this positive vibe thing going on that he's trans- transmitting to his players. Yeah, he does. Like, he again, it, like... Uh, um, he's you know he's had a, like his his ability has kind of shone through during this as well, and I think you know uh, that that sense he's able to get the team to, to play the football he wants them to play, to believe that they can do these things, um, uh, has has remained you know throughout this camp this campaign, and to get the results they've already got is kind of a, is is an example of of how he gets them gets them ready like that. So uh, like I thought the other thing that O'Neill said about them was it was interesting. He kept pointing out they've you know two big games to play. Before before the squad gets together, and you know, so let's not get carried away. They might not. Now, you know, a lot of the play, you know, there's uh, most of the players in the squad have have one game to play before the international mm-hmm. the squad get together. So it's not that big a difference. But like it seemed to be again. Let me just you know, you know just prepare you here for you know. And I think he's very aware that uh, you know there is a kind of. Uh, a, a, a craving in in Ireland, and especially among you know, the, the, not especially among, but among League of Ireland people, among the media who cover League of Ireland, to see these see the players rewarded. But I think ultimately he's laying down laying down yeah. the groundwork for saying you know not this time. Just a quote from Stephen Kenny about tonight's game from this uh, from Emmett's piece. They, he was talking about the opposition. They play with three narrow forwards and two fullbacks who are really like forwards. It's nearly like going back to play a team in the 50s with five forwards. It's like two, three, five, not a million miles away from that. So you're kind of thinking, wow, Stephen Kenny's talking up the opposition a little too much. And then he says, but we're a brilliant counter-attacking team. There's nobody in our group better at counter-attacking than us. I think we are exceptional. (laughs) (laughs) It's just non-stop positivity. It's going to be a bridge too far, though. Sure, I mean, you you couldn't you couldn't actually begrudge Dundalk maybe abandoning a few principles tonight and battening down the hatches. Yeah, I know you would like you kind of think yeah that's what they need to do. Uh, um, But I'm not sure. I think there was a couple. There was um, one of the games in in the earlier on in the European campaign in in the Champions League. They did. Kind of, they did sort of uh, concede possession a lot more than uh, than you would you would be used to. But uh, I think they'll uh, probably have to do this. I don't think they'll have any option. I yeah. think that that's the thing. And uh, if they can get something from it, but I, don't, I think this is a game um, where very few people expect them to. Like it's, it's, it is a huge a huge task for them. We're going to be talking Arsenal and Mesut Ozil's goal uh, elsewhere in this podcast. Yeah, but what about City's win against Barcelona? Was it a, a statement as people are saying? Uh, yeah, I think it was. Um, I think it was a statement of uh, 
of kind of you know they sort of pep pep sometimes kind of embraces chaos too because I think it was there was a certain that like it was it was an amazing game of football but it was pretty chaotic and it didn't have there wasn't that sense of control that you you expect from sort of a Guardiola side um, and uh, and in 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 you know and, and in the sort of like. Barcelona's weaknesses versus City's weaknesses. There were kind of missed opportunities. There was usually, you know, Stones still looked, you know, kind of like, you know, the same kind of baffling uh, £47 million pound player. Uh, but I think it is, I think it's a big, like there was a lot of pressure on on City, especially on Guardiola. People were, you know, people were coming out and saying all this stuff about, uh, you know, Guardiola isn't the manager, like the, the cult of Guardiola, all this mm. kind of stuff, which I kind of find bizarre. I think it's really strange that, his time at Barcelona is used against him as if somehow having Messi, Xavi and, and Iniesta was was his fault. You know, that he should have said, actually, guys, I'd rather you didn't play as well as you're capable of because that would, it's make, damaging my that, reputation. That, that would make me look better as a manager. <laughs> you know, if you could just kind of tone it down a bit. Like he had, these are exceptional players. And of course, if you have exceptional players, you're going to be a better team than if you don't have exceptional players. And if you've got Messi, the greatest player probably ever, you're going to be better than if you don't have him. So having said that, I think Bayern, you know, Bayern was I don't, uh, inconclusive with regards to Pep. I, think, I don't think, <clears throat> like, the fact that they appointed Ancelotti afterwards, you know, everyone said what, what a great work he did and the foundations he laid down. They appointed a totally different manager afterwards. So if they were kind of continuing the Pep tradition, mm-hmm. You wouldn't give it to Ancelotti. Yeah. Uh, at the same time, I think there is, you know, the way he thinks about the game, the way he wants to do things, is is, is serious. It's not. He's not. He's not some kind of faddist. Like he's not just kind of doing crazy. You know, there are elements of it that are you know seem crazy, but he's trying to kind of advance the game. And you know, you can. It's not reinventing the wheel. It's trying to. It's it's. It's more like that line of you know the, the Henry Ford line about you know if if I'd asked people what they wanted I would they would have said a faster horse you know what I mean like uh, like Pep is trying to do something different and uh, and the, that that and it's it's compelling um, the fact that he doesn't have the players he had when he was at Barcelona doesn't mean that he's any less of, less of a manager. It makes it much more exciting actually because there's fallib- you know there's like a vast like a huge seam of fallibility running through that Manchester City team, which means that sometimes, on Tuesday, like on Tuesday night, they'll be absolutely brilliant. And then other times, they'll just be terrible. And, you know, there were times, even on Tuesday night, when their defending was terrible. I mean, overall, it was not a banner day for defenders, I wouldn't have thought. Um, but, I mean, like, but that, that, that element that he doesn't have the players means that when it comes right, it's exciting and it's also kind of shocking in a way it's shockingly good in a way that Barcelona and even Bayern in the Bundesliga weren't ever under Pep well yeah I think it's um I think the whole thing about it is there is something about a Guardiola the way he he approaches football that makes it maybe it's geekish to be into maybe we're all we are part of a cult and like the you know the key thing about being part of a cult is you don't realize you're part of a cult so maybe <laughs> we've been brainwashed but like I I find you know everything he does you want to see what he's going to do with a team like every kind of Manchester City game now you watch with interest 
because you know, which was, hasn't hasn't been the case. You know, Manchester City uh, aren't necessarily haven't been even you know through the last few years haven't been the most exciting no, team to watch. No, they've kind of been there. There's yeah. been a revolution at the club. They've won a couple of league yeah. titles, but I, I never felt turning on a Man City game. I can't wait to see yeah. City this week, especially if you're watching them at home. If you're watching, say, when they were if they, in previous seasons, if they were playing Southampton at home or something, mm. you wouldn't mm. think I must watch that. But with Pep. I, I find myself going, yeah. I want to see what he's going to do. Even if it's stuff that people say, you know, the fullbacks in midfield, all these kind of things. He's trying to do something. There's no reason why football has to be static and remain uh, as it was 30 years ago. 20, every, all the evidence of the Premier League this year is that, it, you know, that, that, that things change. People can say, oh, this harks back to something. And there, of course, there's a truth in that. But the fact that he's pushing it, the fact that he's trying to overcome the fact that he doesn't have uh, Messi... And, and Xavi and Iniesta is 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 fascinating, and I think the way he goes about it isn't, as I said, he isn't some sort of, uh, he's not like Kevin Keegan or something like that, just saying go out and enjoy yourselves. Like it's nothing, it's nothing like that. It is, you know, it's kind of not about enjoying yourself at all. It's about doing exactly what uh, Pep, as an obsessive, wants you to do. Yeah, uh, it almost feels like this been so much talk about the cult of but there's like a cult of anti pep mm. thinking out there now at this stage so we two cults yeah that's got to be reacted against there's got to be a new anyway, a lot of a lot of stuff going on Dion thanks for being cheers lads the training pitch is all and somebody's got to somebody's got to hold a hand up and say it's like training on a car park no no no, no regrets about it no as soon as you ask me a question I'm going to give you an answer who, John Delaney? He could have found me, of course he could have. Try my hotel room. <laughs> yeah, you can laugh. I was the World Cup. As an ex-player, and as an Irishman, and I mean an Irishman, uh, born and reared here, then I, I felt I was entitled to give my opinion. Swinging in the backyard, pull up in your fast car, whistling my name. Which phone is that? That's the second time it's gone off. Open up a beer and you say get over here and play a video game. Why would you turn it off? I see you. Put on silence. You just gonna let it ring? All right, it's good manners. Play a video game. If that was my team, I'd go into the dressing room and I wouldn't even mention handball. I'd just say, why didn't someone put their head in it? France would definitely take it, and Ireland never grabbed it. Usual, usual stuff. Afraid of that next step. Mentally not strong enough. But they can complain all they want, and all these players, they can complain all they want. It's not going to change. France are going to the World Cup. Get over it. Yeah, it's a good point you raise about James McCarthy being the man at the centre of this, Murph, mm. as somebody who sometimes has been accused. Has he been open? Well, I suppose he has been openly accused of not being passionate enough about his country, but was that ever based on anything? Well, uh, I found an article here on the in the Irish Sun, actually, uh, from February of last year. Kevin Kilban was being interviewed. You've got to look at international football as a priority. That's the way I looked at it, but it's different from club management. They want the best for themselves. I totally get that, but far too often with James and Roberto Martinez, who's Everton manager at the time, when it comes around to games and you have a history of missing games, that invariably he will come off with 10 minutes to go on that stat. I know what it's like going back 10 or 15 years. Players are regularly regularly pulled out of international squads to get themselves fit over a 10-day break between club games. I think some players allow their decision to be made for them, but it's far too easy for a player to be dictated to by a physio. Sometimes you've got to take responsibility for yourself and show what it means for you to come and play. Right, well, he's certainly been doing that since then. I yeah. don't know, maybe it was the rocket from Kevin Gavan that got him going, I don't yeah, maybe, know. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it is. I mean, it's a real thing. You know, we have, there have been questions asked about James McCarthy in the past. I don't and, want to uh, get into a war of words. <laughs> 
<laughs> which I don't think were necessarily. Well, know, there is a war of words developing. I mean, yeah, you know, I, words, I, yeah. I don't know if you mentioned that with Dion at the start of that piece there, but there's certainly been a shots fired, as they say. James McCarthy did declare for Ireland when he, you know, did make a big choice there and you know, at the risk of potentially getting a bit of flack uh, up in Scotland at the Which time. Which he subsequently did. So, yeah, he, he, I think he'd already nailed his colours to the mass somewhat and certainly, anyway, I don't think there's any question now about whether or not he's passionate about playing for his country. There's still the, I suppose there's also his demeanour on the field. That was maybe something as like when he has played for us, particularly maybe up until, even in the Euros, he only really came good against Italy. Mm-hmm. Probably I remember him talking, uh, doing that interview with Ken, the water off a duck's back interview. But he uh, hasn't, he has that sort of demeanour where he isn't exactly an up and at him kind of a character. We know all this. I don't think Seamus Coleman would have, I can't picture Seamus Coleman screaming in the face, screaming encouragement into the face of Jonathan Walters mm. to get him going as he did with James McCarthy during the Euros. He's just a different type of character, but that's how he is for Everton as well. So I don't think that, sometimes maybe in my own head I've thought that watching him. Does he, does he really, is he really getting stuck in here for him? It's just the way he plays. He's just, he has, he's, he's, a, he's a frustrating guy at times because he has these gifts and sometimes he doesn't look like he he's, um, you know, getting quite as, Involved as he could. Yeah, the demeanor uh, factor in all of this is more nebulous, but also perhaps more powerful in people's minds because that's kind of what what they see is what they think they get from James McCarthy, which is not yeah. necessarily the case. I don't think. Yeah, whereas like a, a James McLean type could miss as many games as he wanted. Yeah, when he's out there and throwing himself in the tackles as he does, I, I don't think anyone's going to accuse James McLean. No, of not no, I don't. Murph, our football show listeners are a cultured and intelligent bunch. Yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. yes, of course, theater, of yeah. course. They love their film and their theatre just as much as a bet down the local on the Premier League. <laughs> well, if you're in Dublin this Sunday, you lot might fancy heading to see a film called Football as Never Before. It's on in the IFI. This film is almost like a predecessor to the 2006 film Zidane. It was shot in 1970 and the stars our own George Best. Mm. He was our own, Murph. Close don't get too political about this. Yeah, yeah, geographically speaking at least, John. The director, Helmuth Costard, used multiple cameras to film Georgie over the course of a complete match against Coventry City. And this is made at the height of his fame and tabloid notoriety and dare I say the height of his good looks if the clips are anything to go by. Oh, no. Nah. I, I don't know how strongly I can put this, but George Best was an extraordinarily attractive and sexual man. Um, I've, I don't think I've ever seen a human being look better than George Best looks in this movie. The film is essentially silent, but Matthew Noland of Three Epcano has composed a new score, which he'll play with four of the musicians live this Sunday, 6th of November, at 8pm. Because you're all so bloody cultured and cool, we're going to give away five pairs of tickets. How about that? All you need to do is email editor at secondcaptains.com with the answer to this culture-based question. You're not just going to email in and we're going to give you away tickets. You've got to answer this question you've been able to shout. Owens Poems is officially the worst slot in... Wait a second. I didn't okay this script. It's officially the worst slot in world podcasting, but please complete the following poem title from the original Owens poem. Anton O'Toole. So this is the title of the first ever edition this of is, Owens this poem. This is hard. For, well, for anyone who isn't a you know, dedicated Owens poem, I suppose there's not many of those no, people out like there. No, I talking so about there. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Anton O'Toole, Dublin's something something. So it's Anton O'Toole, Dublin's two words and the second which rhymes with O'Toole rhymes okay. with tool I, re- I really hope we get five correct answers to this one email editor at secondcaptains.com that's football as never before with the new score composed live by Matthew Noland at 8pm this Sunday at the IFI in Dublin it looks like a really really beautiful piece of cinema 
And you can check out IFI's website for more details on that. Andrew Mangan of Ars Blog has arrived. Andrew, thanks for dropping in. Thanks, Owen. How's good yourself? to hear. Uh, pretty good. I'm sure you're happy enough after the Tuesday night and uh, particularly Mesut Ozil's wonder goal. Yeah, it was a bit special, wasn't it? Yeah, amazing. We've been talking about it. Is it immediately one of your favourite Arsenal goals? Yeah, I think so. It's certainly one of the best goals we've scored this season. And it's one of those goals that you always felt like he had somewhere in his locker. He does score some great goals. There was one the other week, a great volley at the back post. But I think if there's a goal that encapsulated, not so much his, um, people compare him to Dennis Bergkamp in a way. You know, he's, he's that kind of a player. And Bergkamp obviously had that goal at Newcastle. And I think this is maybe the goal that sums up everything that Mesut Ozil can do. Uh, you know, the lob over the keeper and coming inside and leaving the two defenders, you know, skidding on their arses to nowhere <laughs> yeah. before rolling it in. You know, you always felt like he had that in his locker uh, and this season he's showing it on a on a fairly consistent basis. What I liked about this, even in comparison to that Burkamp goal, which every, every, every touch of that goal was probably necessary, where there was at least one kind of extraneous touch of the ball in this one. It was like yeah. Ozil was toying with them. You know, the, the best player in a f- when you're a kid in school will always yeah. kind of walk up to the line and knock it in. You know? Yeah, there's still that guy in five-a-side who can do that every week. <laughs> like, oh, God, yeah. Did you have to not make me on the way? I think you said on, on our spot that he slowed down time with his mind. Yeah. It's a pretty, uh, well, it's a superpower. It, it is. <laughs> but, I, I, you know, I think he's got that ability to to do things and see things that, that other players don't. You know, you look at somebody like Alexis Sanchez, who is amazing and has had a brilliant season so far, but he is all energy and he makes things happen through this sheer force of will, whereas Ozil is, you, you get that the feels like there's something cerebral about the way that he approaches the game and the way that he thinks about those situations. Because if you look at look at the goal again, I think there's a great gift doing the rounds where you can see it and it's they slow it down at various parts and they slows it down when he loves it over the keeper and he looks and he sees and then he slows it. They, you know, yeah. just thinking about what way those players were going to react uh, he didn't panic, you know, watching it in real time. I was like, put it in, put it in. And then, you know, he took his time and, and did in the end. But I think other players might have tried to to hit it first time when he brought it over the keeper. But he had such confidence in his own ability to to just find the space to to absolutely make sure. I think there's just something really special about the way he thinks. There is. There absolutely is. Cerebral is how you described it there, which can also... And has maybe worked the other way in part of his Arsenal career that there's that he's a little bit too that he's on this plane that maybe you have to get off from time to time to get your hands dirty and and get games won. I mean, has he has he shed that kind of baggage at this stage? I think so. I mean, I think he feels now really part of things, and he is a hugely important figure in Arsenal's uh, in the way that Arsenal play and and for the club as a whole that he's. He, maybe there was a little bit of self-doubt when he came from Real Madrid. When you leave Real Madrid and you go to Arsenal, as much as I'm an Arsenal fan, it is a little bit of a step down in terms of the prestige and, and uh, reputation of the club. So maybe that, that was something for him to, to contend with. Um, but he's just become so important to the way that Arsenal play and uh, such a fundamental figure in, in all the best things that Arsenal do. And I, th- I take your point about him having to get his hands dirty a bit. There was a great moment in the game against Sunderland last weekend where a Sunderland defender, big guy, I can't remember which guy it was, came over to try and muscle him off the ball. And in previous seasons, maybe he would have. But he kind of bounced bounced off him, which is new. Mm. It's sort of like seeing Theo Walcott do things like that. It's like, no, that's not supposed to happen. So there is maybe a bit more steel and determination about him. And, and certainly he looks like a player who's much more determined to make an impact 
And I don't just mean from a creative point of view. You look at how many goals he scored this season. He's already on seven. His best season ever for Arsenal was eight. You know, the, I think it speaks to a will to impose himself on games in a very productive way. All those things you talk about, it's, you could be describing Dennis Bergkamp. You, you mentioned the Bergkamp comparison earlier, but for Ozil to really achieve that status, he needs that drive. Bergkamp is another guy who didn't, you know, didn't really put himself about in the in the sense of, he, I don't think he was much of a talker. He seemed to be a bit like Ozil, maybe an introverted character. I remember Amy Lawrence wrote a piece about this earlier mm. earlier in the year. But he definitely had that drive and that almost a touch of madness at times. Like he was a tough guy yeah. on the field. Yeah. You think Ozil is developing that? Maybe a little. I don't think he's ever going to be as nasty as Bergkamp could be. Because <laughs> nasty he, is the word, yeah, yeah. I mean, Dennis always had that little spiteful edge to him. You know, ask Steve Lomas and, and those guys uh, how sharp Dennis Bergkamp's elbows were. Um, I don't think Ozil's ever going to be that, but I do think that uh, he has had to toughen up a bit and, and uh, I don't think that's a bad thing. We have these periodic conversations when things are looking up for Arsenal, Andrew, mm. and they never seem to quite get over the line or haven't done in a long time. But you mentioned a couple of other players, Walcott, Sanchez, who are both going well as well. Uh, I mean, Giroud still keeps plugging away and gets these goals mm. even with limited game time at times. Uh, things are looking pretty pretty promising right now. Yeah, I think so. It's um, it's a really interesting season because it's, it's so competitive. The top of the Premier League is really competitive with, with Manchester City, Liverpool going really well. And I think what, what's interesting about that is it probably leaves a bit of margin for error for, for all the teams that wasn't there in, in seasons past. But from Arsenal's point of view, uh, the season couldn't have started any worse against Liverpool. Um, chickens came home to roost after, you know, signings weren't made and everybody thought, oh God, here we go. And it's, what, 14, 15 games later and Arsenal still haven't lost. So there is certainly a, a character there uh, and a bit of mental strength there that, that we haven't seen in seasons past. And, and the depth is there as well. Um, Alexis is doing what he's doing and then Giroud comes off the bench and, and shows what he can do as well so th- there's definitely more depth to this squad than there has been a, a more of an ability to cope with difficult situations uh, There is the uh, thorny issue of the November curse or can we call it a curse it's probably not a curse is probably over, uh, is overstretching maybe we were just uh, obsessed with curses mm. in the light of the Cubs last night but uh, <laughs> it, it is their worst month isn't it under Arsene Wenger I think so uh, yeah. and it, it feels like this is around the time that Arsenal would find a way to start losing games, just as we start. As, usually when we talk to you, it's, <laughs> they're, they're either at the end of that run and uh, it's a disaster, or they're at the peak and they're about to plummet. So, so it's my fault. Well, I mean, it's, well, we ask you in, I suppose. So yeah, we, we all need to bear responsibility. I suppose, yeah. I mean, but, but you, you could look down at what happened against Ludogorets on Tuesday night and say... Well, November raised its ugly head and Arsenal gave it a good kicking because they came back from 2-0 down. They they let in two very silly goals. But again, going back to the character and the metal that this squad has shown, that they they reacted. And they reacted within the 90 minutes to, to go on and win the game. It, it's a very challenging month. You know, I think fixtures have been relatively friendly to Arsenal over the last four or five weeks. Uh, a lot of home games, a lot of games against teams that you would expect them to beat. Sunday, of course, is a North London derby. There's the international break. Then there's Manchester United away from home, PSG at home, which will decide that Champions League group. So it's definitely going to be a real measure of of this team. Um, but so far, so good, because it could have been worse on Tuesday in, in the Champions League. And if you're Arsene Wenger, you have to be happy enough, I'd say, with the lay of the land. If you're looking around, you're thinking... 
Well, you might have been a bit worried about Pep's immediate impact at Man City, and and that that, that tailed off. I'd say if you're Joseph, if you're Arsene Wenger, you're pretty happy about how things are going at Manchester United. There's, you know, there's there's nobody like you're saying. There's nobody who's come along and dominated the landscape, even though there were maybe three or four teams who who could have done that. Now, Arsenal haven't done it either. Uh, yeah. But they're they're in there, and nobody's going to nobody's looking particularly frightening. No. Uh, yeah, I think that's true. I mean, everybody looks to have good qualities but everybody looks fallible and Arsenal are no different you know there are some defensive issues I think that Arsene Wenger will be slightly concerned about that they've given up a lot of uh, good chances to the opposition in in the last few weeks and perhaps the quality of the opposition is such that they weren't punished Um, but when you're playing big teams when you're playing teams who are in around them like Tottenham like Manchester United uh, like PSG I mean you think back to the PSG game when Cavani missed all those chances. So there are there are certainly things for him to to work on, but perhaps the the fact that Arsenal are more uh, more fluid, there's greater cohesion to their attacking play. Maybe some of the the balance of that is they're not quite as secure as they might be at the back. But uh, he can't be anything other than delighted uh, with the response of his team since the opening day. Have you got an all time favorite Arsenal goal? Things we started with Ozil. Do I have? A, oh wow. Um, I have to say probably Alan Sunderland's goal in the 1979 FA Cup <laughs> right. final, the, the winner there. Um, that was more for the uh, impact of the Yeah, I think so. And it, it's, 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 yeah, prints. exactly. I mean, there have been some brilliant ones. You're putting me on the spot right now. Yeah, no, that, that's, that's, that's good enough. Yeah, just f- from the, yeah, a formative point of view, you know, it was the first Arsenal game I really remember. And I remember thinking, oh my God, this is amazing. We're 2-0 up in the Cup final. This is great. This is easy. And then football teaches you a lesson. And all of a sudden it's 2-2 and you can win it. And then, and then that goal, yeah, I think I learned a lot about football that day yeah good answer listen Andrew great to talk to you thanks a pleasure as always I've enjoyed this podcast, I suppose, today, Murph, for the most part, but it feels like it's it's lacked a little a little something, a little a little bit of scum. I've got a call here that says you're the most boring, predictable, condescending interviewer around. Go back to lecturing. You have the charisma of a sick bag. Oh god. That's just it. I just oh, mentioned not you, no me. Okay, ain't nobody fing with my click, 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 click. Ain't nobody fresher than my mom. We don't normally click, broadcast all click, the, the stuff that click, comes from scum click, around the country. Click. I see you smiling. Sometimes you we've played a clip a few times and you kind of yeah, you can't call your listeners scum. You can't do it. I know, but I mean, I, 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 well, we're about to do it. But, but even I mean. before that, the charisma of a sick bag, right? I, I, I love the fact that apparently whoever was in studio with Pat there <laughs> thought they, they were talking. No, no, not you, me. Yeah. This is what we get from the scum around the country. Today's scumbag, Murph, is Kieran Brennan. Hey. Final year arts huh? student from Louth. 
So where are we going here? A recent trip home, I was pleased to hear once again the dulcet tones of Jonathan Pierce describing the Eric Cantona Kung Fu kick. Every time I hear it, I take a mental journey back to a balmy evening in Saint-Michel, Notre-Dame, Paris, where I was working as a barman during my Erasmus year. Into the quaint little watering hole walks a rather burly Englishman and his group of merry men. It was a slow night in the bar, so I quite happily eavesdropped into their conversation. After a while, the burly man's voice became very familiar and as their conversation was football-related, I put two and two together, realising he was a BBC commentator. However, the name eluded me thus far. At this point, I should have asked him if he was on Match of the Day, but instead I exclaimed, you do the Eric Cantona commentary, the Kung Fu kick, the one that's on second captains every week. Much to my chagrin, Jonathan Pierce was not as familiar with second captains as I had at first expected, as he replied, <laughs> yeah, that was my commentary. Can't say I know what second captains is, though. <laughs> Despite this icy start, now, I presume, right, <laughs> yeah. Despite this icy start, myself and the BBC Brigade discussed the Euros and the perils of the English team for the next few hours over pints of Murphy's Red, a Canadian delicacy. This was a Canadian bar, I should mention, and slightly more traditional Canadian poutine. Is that how you pronounce that? It's a, it's a snazzy type of food, Murph, that the all the cool kids are eating these days. Over the next okay. week or two... You, I, I can't even begin to describe the blankness of the stare on both me and Simon's face there. Over the next, on, on you go on. Over the next week or two... The lads came in again, and on such occasions, I continued to act like an overexcited fan. The BBC expenditure tab took a bit of a hit in the way of Putin dishes, but little in the way of my tip jar. <laughs> Alas, for me and Jonathan, we'll always have Paris. I'm pretty sure Putin is a French curse word, and this may be a setup. Carry on. <laughs> Cordialement, Kieran Brennan. Oh, well, Cordial, Cordialement to you, too. Yeah, right back Go. at you, big gay. Quick reminder if you want to. Oh, you can get those emails in. Uh, secondcaptains at irishtimes.com quick reminder if you want to read Ken Early's brilliant Euro 2016 diary if you want to go deep inside the home of Richie Sadler deep inside that home get on to secondcaptains.com and order your copy of the Second Captain Sports Annual Volume 2 in stock now we've got an Ireland New Zealand preview show out today featuring Gordon Darcy and ex-all black Ali Williams and US Murph on that programme as well on the Chicago Cubs winning the World Series for the first time since 1908 wasn't it? yeah 1908 thanks Murph thank you Owen. thanks a million for listening we'll talk to you soon That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work.